Good evening. Tonight is Thursday night, November 19th, 2020. It is a great pleasure to welcome you to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. I'm so grateful to every single one of you. You've taken the time to join together so that we can study together. And I am very, very grateful and appreciative of your time and your attention tonight. And I look forward to what we're going to share. We experience so much of Yitzchak's life, our patriarch Isaac. We experience his life so much in passive terms. As a child, he is bullied by Yishmael, his brother, and Yishmael is sent away. He is offered as an offering at the Akedah, the binding of Isaac where he is literally bound and placed on an altar by his father Avraham. In our Parsha, the Parsha of Toldos, he is deceived by his wife Rivka and his son Yaakov to not give the bracha, the blessing, to his firstborn Esav. And then, by the end of our Parsha, both of his sons, have left him. Even the opening of our Parsha supports this view. The opening verse, the first Pasuk, the Ela Toldos Yitzchak ben Avraham, and these are the generations of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Avraham Holid es Yitzchak. Avraham fathered Yitzchak. It's such a telling, curious verse. The first part, the Ele Toldos Yitzchak ben Avraham, that implies that the Torah is going to tell us what Yitzchak did. These are the generations that were created by Yitzchak. What he did, who he created. And yet the second half of the verse concludes with what happened to him? Avraham Holid es Yitzchak. He was born to his father Yitzchak. The Medrash goes even further and puts this in visible terms. Yitzchak, the Medrash says, physically looked identical to his father Avraham. He did not even have a distinct, distinguishable appearance. We might make the mistake of thinking that Yitzchak's life was primarily lived as a recipient, as an object, not as a subject. It would be a terrible mistake to make because to do so would be to miss the profound impact his actions had on the life of his family and on the character of the Jewish people till this day, especially today, as I will try to demonstrate to you this evening. An insight into Yitzchak's true character 
and his unique greatness can be derived from a single passage in our Parsha, often overlooked, in which Yitzchak is exclusively, though uniquely, active. And I want to discuss with you tonight Perik Chavav, chapter 26 in our Parsha. This passage contains the key to a full appreciation of Yitzchak's life, and I see in this passage four crucial lessons I want to share. Lesson number one. The passage begins, And there was a famine in the land of Israel. Now, that in itself is not unusual. There was a famine during the lifetime of his father Avraham, not once but twice. There was a famine in the life of Yaakov, his son, later in the Torah. So a famine by itself is not unusual. But Yitzchak's response is unique. Avraham before him, Yaakov after him, leave Israel to go to Mitzrayim, to go to Egypt, where there is food. Yitzchak, and only Yitzchak, stays in Israel. Now, I don't mean to imply a judgment of Avraham or Yaakov for leaving Israel. First of all, I would never criticize anyone who leaves Israel. Concerning Avraham, the commentators differ as to whether it was right for Avraham to leave Israel for Egypt in the face of that famine or it was not right. But concerning Yaakov, God commands Yaakov to go to Egypt. That's part of God's plan. And it is God in our Parsha that commands Yitzchak to remain in Israel. Nonetheless, Yitzchak's life teaches us unconditional, undying attachment to the land of Israel. Yitzchak lives his whole life from birth to death exclusively in Israel. And Yitzchak is in Israel not only when things are good, when things are peaceful and plentiful. Yitzchak is there when times are tough, through famine and drought. Yitzchak is there when children are crying, when no hope is visible. Yitzchak alone among the patriarchs never abandons Israel. Only Yitzchak never leaves. Clearly, Yitzchak's attachment, Yitzchak's commitment was on a different level, a level for which we should strive. And I will point the finger at myself as one who, here in Montreal, does not live up to what Yitzchak teaches us. 
Now, faced with that charge against me, I will feebly point out, I do travel to Israel as often as I can, and I did travel to Israel several times during war and pain to be with and to show support for our brothers and sisters in Israel. But I am the first to say it is a feeble, pale excuse for what Yitzchak teaches us in this passage. That's the first lesson and legacy Yitzchak provides for us in this passage. Lesson number two. Vayira of Baaretz, there was a famine in the land. Vayira Elav Hashem, and God appeared to Yitzchak and he said, Vayomer, Al Tered Mitzrayim, do not go down to Egypt. Shechon Baaretz Asher Amari Lecha, stay in the land that I've told you where I want you to stay. Stay right here in Israel. Okay, so there's a famine. God says, don't leave. So how does he survive the famine? Well, he digs a well in order to be able to find water. Now, I'm going to skip a few psukim, a few verses for now. We'll come back to them. But the Torah goes on to say, Vayoshav Yitzchak Vayachpar es be'eros hamayim asher chafru bimei Avram aviv. Yitzchak Redigs the wells which his father Avraham had originally dug years before. By Satmum Plishtim Achare Mos Avraham, the Plishtim, the, the people in this area of Israel, which is kind of the southern, southwestern part of Israel, they had stopped up filled up the wells that Avraham had dug earlier. And just keep in mind, we're talking about a part of the world which is mostly desert. Water is life. Filling in somebody's well, making it unusable, that's serious. But that's what these people did. So Yitzchak re-dug the wells that his father had dug before. Torah goes on to say, And Yitzchak gave names to each of the wells, the same names that his father had given to those wells. He was redigging the same wells and he gave them the same names. For example, the Torah told us earlier, one of the wells that Avraham dug, there was a, an event that took place there between Avraham and Avimelech, the king of the Pelishtim of this area, where they swore to each other that they would have a covenant with each other. And Avraham called the name of that Be'er, Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva, that's where the name comes from. So that's the name of one of the wells. Yitzchak redug the wells and he called them the same names that his father had called them. Seems like there's a lot of attention 
to details here that are quite minor. Same wells, different wells, the same names, different names. What does it matter to us? Why does the Torah have to explain all of this to us? But in fact, these details are a major insight into Yitzchak's life. There's a famine. So what does Yitzchak do? He does what his father did, what Avraham did. We read previously in last week's parsha, Avraham goes to Avimelech, the king of the Pelishtim in the southwestern part of Israel. That's what Avraham did in last week's parsha. Yitzchak in our parsha, when there is a famine, does the same thing that his father does. Then Rashi tells us, the famous commentator Rashi tells us, Yitzchak intended that he would continue southward into Egypt in order to be able to survive the famine, just as his father Avram had done earlier in the parish of Lech Lecha. And that's when, and that's why, God appears to Yitzchak and says, no, don't go to Mitzrayim, stay here. So, he listens to what God says, but he doesn't just dig wells to survive the famine. He redigs the wells originally done by Avraham. And he gives them the same names that Avraham gave them. What does that mean? Yitzchak's automatic reaction to any situation in life is to ask himself, what would my father have done? Yitzchak's actions teach us to keep the Masorah, the teaching and the transmission of tradition we receive from our parents and they receive from their parents. Yitzchak's legacy to us is vitally important, especially today. Yitzchak's legacy is I keep the tradition of my father. I once heard from Rabbi Saul Berman, you know, last names are not Jewish. In fact, last names are not even all that old. They're only a few hundred years old. They are borrowed from other cultures. My last name, Whitman, that's not a Jewish part of my identity. In Judaism, I am called the son of my father and mother. My name is Chaim Zalman, the name my parents gave me, the son of Moshe, the son of El Kisara, my parents. My parents form my identity. This is the role of parents. And this is an insight that Yitzchak understood and practiced through his actions. No matter what happened in his life, he wanted to be informed by what would my father do? Mark Twain put it a little differently. 
He wrote, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. We are obsessed today with what is new, what is wow. And there's a place for that. Within our spiritual lives, within our synagogues and schools, we need innovation and creativity. We also need continuity. We also need sustained effort. We also need the traditions and teachings of our parents. A couple of years ago, before Rosh Hashanah, I received a call from a reporter from the Montreal Gazette. You know, every year before the high holidays, many newspapers will write one or a couple of news articles about the holidays that are important to at least a certain segment of their readership. Usually, the articles about the high holidays are recipes. Okay, that's fine. This time, a reporter who I know and like called me and she said, I'm doing a story on Rosh Hashanah. What are you doing that is new this year at your shul, at Adat? Okay, so the truth is, we were doing something new and innovative and I told her about it and she wrote about it. And I understood her question. After all, she's writing for a newspaper. But when she asked me that question, I thought to myself, yes, what we are doing new for the first time is important. But it's also important that we will try to do well what we do every year that is not new, to be warm and welcoming to everyone, to do that well, to engage in familiar prayer that is beautiful and meaningful and spiritual, to inspire, to uplift, that is also vitally important. And that is Yitzchak's legacy. And as parents and grandparents, we have to find this balance as we raise our own children and grandchildren. One of the most difficult jobs of a parent is putting your imprint on your child, transmitting values, lessons, traditions, but at the same time to leave space for them to develop in their own unique way. I've always been moved by this beautiful poem of Mary Oliver. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. 
to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. That balance is complex to achieve. Yitzchak is critical in teaching us his truth through his actions. Third lesson. Yitzchak's digging the wells <clears throat> occurs within a larger context that contains a vital lesson for every one of us. So let me now fill in some of the verses, some of the psukim that I skipped before. Vayigdal ha'ish, vayelech haloch v'gadel ad ki gadal ma'od. Yitzchak became wealthy and increased his possessions exceedingly. Vayikanu oso plishtim. And the plishtim, the people who were living in the area where he was, started to become jealous of him, started to resent him for his success and accomplishment. And all of the wells that his father had dug in this area, Sitmum Plishtim, Vaimalum Afar, the people who were jealous of Yitzchak, they filled up his father's wells with earth, so they were unusable. It was an act of aggression. Vayomer Avimelech el Yitzchak and the king of this area, Avimelech, said to Yitzchak, Lech mi'imanu, leave us, go away from us. Ki atzamta mi'menu ma'od, because you have become exceedingly prosperous and there is resentment against you. Go away. Avra, Yitzchak, moves a distance, Vayachperu avde Yitzchak banochal, Vayimtsu sham be'er mayim chayim. Yitzchak moves away a little bit, he digs a well, and he finds there be'er mayim chayim. I don't know if you know what be'er mayim chayim really is. It's a brand of soft drinks that are sold in... Uh, Religious stores, kosher stores. Yitzchak discovered soft drinks. Be'er mayim chayim. Actually, it would be a good trivia question at your Shabbos table. What grocery item has its name that comes from this week's Parsha? Be'er mayim chayim. Okay. Be'er mayim chayim, he found the well of life-sustaining water. Vayarivu ro'e gror im ro'e Yitzchak. But the other shepherds argued with Yitzchak's shepherds and would not allow them to remain there. So Yitzchak moved away again. Vayachpru be'erachares and Yitzchak dug a different well in a different location. 
Vayerivu Gamaleha. But the people there also contested and argued and fought with Yitzchak. Vayatek Misham. And he moved away again to a different place. Vayachbar Be'erach And he dug another new well. This time, finally, V'laravu Aleha. There was no conflict over this well. Vayikra Shema Rechovos. Yitzchak called the name of this well Rechovos, Rechovot. It's the name of the city, Rechovot. I'm not sure it's exactly the same area where Yitzchak was, but it's in that general area. Ki because Yitzchak said, Hirchiv Hashem Lanu, God has created ample space for all of us. Ufarinu Ba'aretz, and we will be able to thrive now in this land. <clears throat> Yitzchak is digging wells within the concept, within the context of strife and machlokes, arguing. Machlokes, arguing, is dangerous and destructive even if you didn't start it. And even if you are right. Our sages teach us in the Talmud, Mesechta Sanhedrin, they do not only criticize one who starts an argument. They also criticize one who is machazik b'machlokes, who engages in an argument, who participates in the argument, even if someone else started it, even if someone else is wrong. Remember, there is a famine. Water is life. Filling up a well is an act of aggression that puts life at risk. Yitzchak dug. Others were clearly the aggressors. Yitzchak moves away and digs a different well. Now, this strategy is not applicable in every circumstance. But, machlokes must be seen in the category of sakonas nefashos, a possible threat to life. In some rare cases, it is necessary to risk one's life. But in all cases, everyone is harmed by machlokes. The Duke of Wellington once wrote, Victory is only marginally better than defeat because even the victors must bury their dead. Rabbi Shlomo Aviner points out Yitzchak understood that. He refuses to be dragged into a fight. He puts into action his willingness to sacrifice for peace, even when he was right. It was better to expend energy digging another well than fighting. Again, this is not applicable in every situation. But almost always, Yitzchak's actions here should be a model for our own 
behavior. Finally, lesson number four. <clears throat> and this is an insight developed by Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. Yitzchak understands and the Torah teaches us by emphasizing these actions may seem unmemorable, but that's not true. Digging wells is in fact very important for all of us. In fact, metaphorically, it is one of our central missions in life, especially today, to dig wells, to believe that under all the layers of dirt and dust, there is clear, sweet water below. That a person who is indifferent, even wicked, this is just an outer shell inside, underneath, there is a soul, there is life, there is a spark of God. Not just every person, but every situation. We need to search and dig down to find the meaning and the potential for growth within every difficulty and challenge. It may be hidden deep, it may take diligent effort to reach, but it is there. And this lesson Yitzchak teaches us has a dramatic, practical application and consequence in Yitzchak's life, in the central narrative of our Parsha this Shabbos, the Parsha of Toldos. Why is it that Yitzchak chooses to bless Esav and not Yaakov. Yes, we know the rest of the story that there's a deception and ultimately the blessing actually goes to Yaakov and not to Esav. Yes, Esav is the firstborn son, but isn't it clear to Yitzchak, as it is clear to his wife Rivka, that Yaakov is the one who is deserving of the blessing? that Esau's behavior and attitude and approach to life is not consistent with receiving such a blessing from his father Yitzchak? Why in the world does Yitzchak want so much to give this blessing to Esau when on the surface it's so clear to even us that it should be Yaakov who receives the blessing? Why is the deception even necessary? Yitzchak is not a fool. Yitzchak knows his son's character. He knows Esau. And he knows Yaakov is much more refined, more spiritual. But listen, please, to the insight of Rabbi Chaim ben Atar, the author of Or HaChaim HaKadosh. He provides an answer that is so relevant to us. Yitzchak's insight was very deep. He saw through the surface 
of his son Esav. He recognized that on the surface, Esav was abrasive and impulsive and rough. But he also saw that if you dig deep, there is goodness that can come from within that harsh exterior. According to the Arhachayim, Yitzchak desired to bless Esav, the evildoer, because he thought blessings would transform Esav. That the evil in him would be turned into good. Yitzchak did all he could for Esav to improve, to bring about the possibility of change. Clearly, Rivka, his wife, Esav's mother, did not see it that way. But Yitzchak applied the lesson he learned from his own actions, from digging wells, to understand his complex, difficult, firstborn son. Let me share with you an amazing story. I heard this from Dr. David Pelkovitz. Many of you may have heard of him. He's a well-known, brilliant therapist and teacher in New York. <clears throat> a man came to see him, a religious man, came to see him and said, my son needs to be in therapy. You have to see my son. Dr. Pelkowitz says to him, what's wrong? Father says, my son is 16 years old. He's been thrown out of 12 different schools. He doesn't listen. You need to see him. He needs therapy. Dr. Pelkowitz agrees. The boy comes in. They have a session together. They discuss what's going on. Dr. Pelkowitz calls the father back after the session and says, for the next session, bring in the family. We need to all sit together. Bring in the entire extended family. We all need to be together to work on this together. Okay. So they all come to this appointment. The extended family is all there. The boy is there. Dr. Pelkowitz is there. Dr. Pelkowitz turns to the father and he says, okay, you start. Please share what's going on. Share what the issues are with this situation. The father of this boy says, I have a wonderful family. This child is accomplished in this way. This child is a professional in this way. Every single one of my children is accomplished. They are successful. Everyone is doing well in life. And this one, he points to the 16-year-old boy, and this one, he plays video games. He does nothing. He's smart, but he's wasting his life. He does nothing all day. That's the problem, and that's why we're here. At that, the grandfather gets up. The grandfather was also there. He was an elderly gentleman. And he says, I would like to speak. 
and he tells the following story. He says, I was born in Poland. I was the black sheep of my family. All of my brothers were outstanding, accomplished, successful in everything they did. But the only thing my father could find to say to me was criticism. Whatever I did was wrong. I couldn't do anything right. When I was 13 years old, I found a book. And I read this book from cover to cover. Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. And I finished the book and I went to my father and I told my father, this is what he's going to do. This is not just a book. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. I'm telling you, you need to take all of us now. We need to run away. My father said to me, you're crazy. He was just 13 years old. You don't know what you're talking about. It's not possible. You're crazy. Good for nothing. We argued. The grandfather is telling the story. We argued. Finally, I left home at 13 by myself with nothing. And I came to America. I built a life. I built a family, a successful business. Every member of my family perished in the Holocaust. I look around now, he's saying in the doctor's office. I look around me now at my family. Every one of you, my children, my grandchildren, successful, accomplished. And I ask myself, which one of you resembles me the most? This boy. And he points to the 16-year-old. You are a replica of me. And then he looks around to every member of his family, children, grandchildren. And he says to them, my children, my grandchildren, if not for a boy like this, pointing to this 16-year-old boy, none of you would be alive today. To accomplish everything that you have accomplished? Don't ever denigrate a boy like this. It is to a child like this one that you owe your very existence. That is what Yitzchak saw in Esav. And why, according to Yitzchak, Esav deserved, needed this blessing. May we all merit to have and to be a parent who digs deeply to see the best in us, to see beneath the surface the goodness 
of which we are all capable. My friends, I want to wish you a great evening and a fantastic and peaceful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person. Shabbat Shalom.